0: Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see everybody here. Thank you for coming out. it's really a really good fall day, good Sunday morning to worship God. Uh, most of you know me, but for those of you that don't, my name is Adam. My wife is Sarah. you just seen her just a few moments ago. Um, I serve as a deacon here at church. Um, also, my daughter goes to CCA here as well. So uh, I'm just filling in today for Pastor Mark, so he will be back. Like Sarah said, he's camping away with the boys, so... I'm not with them, but that's fine. So I'm just I'm I'm filling some big shoes here today. So just bear with me, and I'm, I'm growing in all this as we all are. So, um, but today I think what we're going to do we're gonna uh, we're gonna we're gonna be in Luke chapter nine verse twenty three, and so that's going to kind of act as our my the nucleus for today's message. So if you want to uh, if you want to go there, I'm going to just uh, start this off with prayer. So, dear Heavenly Father, we again thank you for this service. We thank you for this opportunity to come and worship you. We pray for your word. We pray for your guidance and your direction in our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, Luke chapter 9. I'm going to kind of just briefly recap here. In chapter 9, there's a few events that just took in place. Uh, the first one was Jesus had just sent out the 12 disciples. We remember this? He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God, to spread the gospel, to do the miracles and the healings and things like that. He had sent them out. And then sometime after that, Jesus uh, performed the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. We remember this as well. These are two really extraordinary events, a lot of things going on. And so at this time, uh, Jesus really was establishing Who he was to all around him. And so he was getting a lot of attention, as you can imagine, throughout his ministry with everything going on. A lot of attention from a lot of people. And many people were coming to Christ in faith, in true faith. Many people were attempting to follow him through all of this. Many people were following for the right reasons. And many people were following for the not-so-right reasons. Many were following just to see more miracles Or to see what they could selfishly gain from him, from this man they see in the crowds. Many people were following just to go with the flow, kind of go with the crowd. We do that today, right? We see crowds of people going somewhere and doing something, and we just kind of got to see what's going on. We follow them, right? And so that was happening as well. And these people that were doing that didn't fully understand who Jesus really was and what was really going on. They were following this event blindly, and so, in this life, we shouldn't follow anything or anyone blindly as well, with no understanding of who or what they truly are. I think of uh, being stuck behind a construction vehicle. Usually, it's a dump truck for me. Uh, on the back of that tailgate, there's a, a the bright orange sign. We've all kind of, I think, experienced this. It says, Construction vehicle, do not follow. And so, I mean, I've been stuck behind these many times. And so that message is there for a reason. It is a message. It's a warning. And I'm sure there's been, at some point in time before they had that sign, I don't think they were always on there, but somebody was following one of these vehicles, probably got into some trouble, followed one of these vehicles where they weren't supposed to go, some damage got done, so they started slapping these signs on the back of the trucks. And so people need warnings, don't they? I mean, we still have to put the word hot on a coffee cup lid for hot coffee with an exclamation point. Otherwise, people will drink it, burn their mouths, and sue the restaurants. They need these warnings. And so the sign on this construction vehicle is there for a reason. There's potential danger if you do follow. It may lead you off the beaten path. may lead you you, somewhere you don't want to go, somewhere that could cause damage. In other words... You've been warned, right? And so we need to understand who we're following and really what's in store. And so that brings me to verse 18. We're going to start there. Chapter 9, verse 18. Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, who do the crowds say that that I am? So Jesus was amongst the crowds, and so he separated himself, and he's talking to the disciples here. And so obviously Jesus had people that were following him. And he asked them. So verse 19, and they answered, this is from the crowd, what the crowd thought of Jesus. John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others one of the prophets of the old that is risen. And so these were rumors about Jesus from the crowd. The crowd had a, a, a twisted understanding of who Jesus really was. I think that's today uh, true for today as well. I think a lot of people think that Jesus was You know, some moral fella or a prophet or just a a historical figure in time. But Jesus wanted the disciples that followed him to truly understand who they were following. And so he asked them personally that same question. Verse 20. And he said to them, he said to his disciples sitting there, but who do you say that I am? Not who do the crowd say that I am. Who do you say that I am? My disciples that are around me. And Peter answered, the Christ of God. The Christ of God. So Peter understood that Jesus was the Messiah. He was the anointed one. The Messiah, really, that had been believed upon and anticipated from the Old Testament. And so let's go to the Old Testament to see how it describes Jesus, this anointed one, this man. We're going to go to Isaiah chapter 53 Verses 3 through 7. I'm going to go back to Luke chapter 9, so save your spot. Chapter 53, 3 through 7. Verse 3. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Jesus was hated by mankind. Verse 4, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Jesus took on the consequences of our sins that we committed against a holy and perfect God. Verse 5, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. Jesus was the substitute for us. To taking on the wrath of God for us, verse six: We all, uh, all we like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us of us all. We are all sinners in need of a savior. In verse seven, he was oppressed, afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter like a sheep that before it shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Jesus fulfilled this image here of a lamb being led to slaughter, being that atonement for us. So understanding who Jesus truly is, is essential to true worship and being a follower. And as we follow Christ, we need to understand really how that's going to affect us in our daily lives, our daily lives. And so like this construction vehicle, when we follow Christ, we will, be, we will be on a path that's not easy, possibly dangerous, definitely, definitely, definitely unpopular. I mean, we see that today. The Bible is now considered hate speech. So when um, we've all heard this uh, statement, take up your cross, or I have a cross to carry, or I'm bearing my cross, or we all have a cross to bear, Let's take a look at what this means in Scripture. So let's go to verse, back to Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Verse 23, And he said to all, so he's talking to all here around him, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. If you are a follower of Christ, you will have to face self-denial deny yourself and take up your cross, he said. The word deny in the Greek actually means to refuse or to refuse to associate with. Now this isn't just a take up your cross once and done, but this is a take up your cross daily, it says here. This is continuous in your life, in your walk. There's no retirement from following Christ. I hope that at some point in our lives, we've all been persecuted for our belief in Jesus Christ, to some degree, to some degree. I know for myself, um, when I, people started finding out that I was a Christian, at least at work, they would call me, call me all those typical names, right? The Bible Banger, uh, Jesus Freak, Bible Thumper, oh, that was a good one. Uh, then they found out I was a deacon, so I was Mr. Deacon or Holy Guy, whatever, you know. But this, in a sense, it's good, Right? This persecution in a sense, although very, very light persecution it was, it was good because it shows the separation, it shows, it, it shows that I am different from the world, I am in that separation amongst the world because we're in the world, aren't we? We can't help that, this is where we're placed, this is where the mission is, but we are in the world, we are not of the world, so this sort of persecution really is a good thing. And so why do I say that? Because it says it right here in Scripture. Take up your cross and follow me. When Jesus said that, people knew exactly what he meant. When you said cross in Jesus' time, they associated cross with death. Death. We hear cross now, we associate it with redemption, forgiveness, sacrifice. And that's good, but the context here, the context is key The Romans used crucifixion. They didn't invent it per se, but they definitely tried to perfect upon it, using it for execution by torture. This isn't just chop off your head, you're done. It's not meant to be quick. It was execution by torture. So crucifixion was really meant to produce the ultimate amount of pain, shame, and suffering. This person would have to carry the beams on their backs the final destination. It Really, this whole process was much like digging your own grave. Uh, they would have been beaten beforehand. So before having carried the cross on their back, they would have been beaten severely beforehand to make that process that much worse. And then the person would have to carry their cross through the crowds, through the massive crowds, it's similar to like, you know, when we have a parade on Central Avenue and there's just the mounds of people just on either side, right? And so he's, you're carrying this amongst the crowd and they're not cheering you on. They're not like, come on, let's go, you got this, keep on, you're almost there. It wasn't like that at all, it was completely opposite. They were constantly abusing, mocking, ridiculing this person the whole way to the end where the cross was erected. And then once there, as we all know, they put uh, nails through your hands and through your feet, fixating you to the wooden beams. And back in that day, wrists were actually part of, they understood it back then, that wrists were actually part of the hands. So many believe that the nails were actually driven through this part of your wrist between the two bones, which would make sense. Driven here, the flesh would rip due to your own body weight. Plus, uh, there's lots of nerve endings in your wrist as well, would have made it much more painful. So then they were hoisted up. So after being driven through their hands and through their ankles or feet, they were then hoisted up. And before they were hoisted up, they were stripped naked for even more shame shame and, and pain and suffering on an emotional level. And so while up there, you're essentially trying to support your weight. If you could imagine the nail being driven through your ankles and through your hands, that's all you have. So you're essentially supported by the nails driven through your body. And so in that, in that whole process, the science, there is science behind this crucifixion, you're essentially suffocating to death. And so while up there, whenever you'd want to take a breath, if you could imagine, you'd have to actually hoist. You'd actually have to push off on the nails and on, on, on the cross just to take a deep breath. You would be out of breath, and every time you'd have to take that huge breath, you're pushing yourself up. So it was excruciating, it was painful every time. So you were essentially suffocating to death this whole time on the cross. And so it was really part of your own body weight that was dragging you down to the ground. They didn't just kind of experience this and put you up there for the first time thinking, you know, this should work. They went through a lot of science and a lot of uh, thought, rather, to figure out how to make it really, really bad for the person on the cross. And you were up there from a few hours to a few days, depending on the circumstances, how badly you were beaten. So it was really meant to be a long and suffering death. It was also a public display. This wasn't done in secret. It wasn't done at night for nobody to see. It was done for everybody to see, everybody to come and see, and really to be a part of themselves. Crucifixion was so bad, It was actually reserved for the worst offenders of that time. So, this statement, take up your cross, implies that by following Christ, it's not always easy street. We should be willing to be uncomfortable, suffer, and in some cases, die for our faith in Jesus Christ. Look at verse 24 and 25. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? What Christ is saying is that you have to be willing to lose your life and every, or everything in it. It'll be the end of you through the self-denial. And this is why so many, so many reject the gospel. They want to be their own God. It's, if they're their own God, it's their own life, it's their own rules. They want to be their own God. I think, for example, the celebrity world. Um, they, they, have, they show off all they have with all their riches and fame just to try to influence the world in so many ways. I think of someone like Elon Musk. I mean, this guy's got it all. He's got the money, the power, the fame. He, you know, he has his own space program that works with NASA, Tesla. I mean, the guy owns rockets, not like rockets, like, you know, but like they put people in space rockets, you know. But for what? To bring them closer to Christ? They're gaining the whole world and everything in it, that's for sure, but they're losing their soul if they're not losing, if they're not willing to lose what they have and accept Christ as their Lord and Savior. It's all for nothing. It also reminds me of the rich young ruler. I think we remember him in the Gospels. He attempted to follow Christ. Remember, he came up to him and, you know, I wanted to be a follower, and I, I did this. What else do I need to do? And I've done this. I've, oh, I've kept this law. I've done that. I'm good, Christ. I've got it all down. But he couldn't lose. He couldn't let go of his riches in order to follow Christ. And so here's a warning to those not willing to face self-denial and believe in Christ. Verse 26. For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the Holy Angels. Self-denial is too much for most, that's for sure. And that's why we call it the narrow, it's called the narrow way. Now we have narrow ways here, that's always confusing to me. But the idea of a narrow way is a tight squeeze. You can't bring stuff with you, you have to lose it, it's it's too big, right? So like, uh, I think, I I know my family have gone on these caves or caverns, the tours, have you ever done this? Where you kind of get a lot of people in and, you know, they're giving you the spiel and all that and you get in and you guys start walking around, you know, and kind of normally. And then all of a sudden you start going through these caves and caverns and then you walk, you're starting to walk like this. Because it's getting really narrow, it's getting really tight, and you're walking around and all this stuff, it gets really tight. It's the narrow way. You couldn't fit your big suitcase to come and drag with you through that there, if you could imagine. So when you, follow, when you choose to follow Christ, you need to have this self-denial, be willing to lose these things. Because so many times we want the reward without the risk. Or we want this crown without the cross. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it, Christ says. And so how this is going to look in your life, I'm not exactly sure, but first let me tell you what this statement doesn't mean. When we say we have a cross to carry, it doesn't mean your bad financial situation. It doesn't mean you're irritating boss at work. And it really doesn't even mean being patient, waiting in line at Walmart. I mean, maybe, I don't know, maybe Walmart. Let me, I'm gonna pull over and tell you two things about my wife real quick (laughs) about Walmart. She loves Walmart and she loves waiting in line at Walmart. So we are unevenly yoked (laughs) for sure. I had to add that. She needs to repent. My point here, taking up your cross is not for some self-pity reason. So let's go back to Scripture, look at some more examples of what it does mean as well. Uh, verse 57. 57. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. So here we have people wanting to follow Jesus. Jesus. And someone says, I'll follow you. And not only will I follow you, I'll follow you wherever you want to go. Hmm. Let's see. Verse 58. And Jesus said to him, Here's a warning foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Well, talk about bad marketing. Seeker friendly? Nah. Follow me and you'll be happy and comfortable. New car, closest parking spot, new job, health and wealth are here for you. Just got to name it and claim it. It is not what Jesus said ever. So when these word of faith or health and wealth false teachers say that Jesus was rich and many of them teach it, or Jesus lived in a mansion and many of them teach that, I think they miss this verse completely. I don't know that they missed it. I think they read it and they don't want to accept it because then they would have to lose what they have. Come follow me and we may have nowhere to stay. It'll be uncomfortable. It'll be hard. You may die. Verse 59. To another he said, follow me. So Jesus seeks someone out. Could you imagine Christ asking you to follow him? Jesus said, uh, and said to him, follow me. But he said, this man, Lord, let me first go bury my father. Let me first go bury my father. The man's father wasn't even dead yet. This phrase, I must bury my father, was actually, historically in that time, it was a common figure of speech. Meaning, let me wait to receive my inheritance. He wanted to wait for his money. He wanted to wait for all his stuff. Then, then I'll follow you. Let me get my money first. Let me get my inheritance. So there's no self-denial there. Verse 60, And Jesus said to him, the same guy, Leave the the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim, proclaim the kingdom of God. Leave the dead to bury their own dead. The world is spiritually dead. This isn't Sesame Street Christianity as the world wants to think it is. This isn't Jesus on Sesame Street here. This is the true gospel. Verse 61. Yet another said, so we have another person wanting to follow. You think they'd catch the warnings here, catch the hint. He says, I will follow you, Lord. He even calls him Lord. But let me, first, let me first say farewell to those at my home. Let me first say goodbye to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. When you run this plow in a field, you have to pay attention. You have to go straight. You can't keep looking back. Otherwise, you will go off course. The crop will be messed up. The lines will be messed up. The harvest will be messed up. All the growth will be messed up. The point is you have to stay focused, not keep looking back. These people were not willing to lose what they had in order to follow Jesus. As followers of Christ, we have to be willing to lose everything to follow him. We have to have this self-denial or we are not fit for the kingdom of God. An example of this uh, self-denial or carrying our cross is even we have to be willing to lose or upset some relationships in our family, our closest friends, In some cases, our marriage. Let's go to Luke chapter 14, verse 25 and 26. Verse 25. Now great crowds accompanied him. That means they were following him. And he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Christ is the head of the church, not our kids, not our spouses, not our new cars and toys, our so-called hobbies and retirements and bank accounts and everything else in between. And Jesus said here, be willing to lose hate even your own life. This is dying to oneself. Verse 27 to 33, I'm going to try to go through this quickly. Verse 27. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Warnings. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and it is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build a tower and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king of war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. Verse 33, here it is. So therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Following Christ and taking up your cross means the willingness to obey Christ's commands and to have the willingness to give up everything you have in order to follow Christ. God may not have you give up your home, Don't misunderstand. He may not have you give up your career or give up all your money, but you must be willing to do so if he does. So in your life, uh, at work, the store, at Walmart, spending time with family, or just generally being in the world, stand firm on Jesus as Lord. Do not be ashamed of him. It's, you know, it's really... It's really easy to not be ashamed of Christ here at church in many respects. It's really easy. But it's hard to carry your cross through the crowds of the world. It is uncomfortable. Stay faithful. And so my hope and my prayer is that we all take up our cross. We all keep this plow straight. Because the gospel needs to be spread. And it needs to be the true gospel of repentance. Not a counterfeit one of easy believism or this twisted version that teaches that we don't need to die to oneself or give up our sin. And we don't talk about sin. We don't, you know, we don't need to talk about that. Reject that. So I invite you today, if you haven't yet, to understand that you are a sinner in need of saving. Confess your sins against a holy and perfect God. Believe in Jesus Christ as Lord over your life. And when following Christ, you're not promised. You are not promised that you will fulfill your greatest dreams or satisfy your greatest desires, or to live in comfort the rest of your days. But you are promised to be saved from eternal hell. And you will have eternal blessings right now and forever if you die to oneself, giving up your selfish sin. Because no one knows our expiration date, right? Only God. Amen. Become a true follower of Jesus Christ, knowing what's at stake and come into his loving and forgiving arms. This life is temporary, is it not? But heaven and hell are eternal. And so are we. We are eternal. We are eternal beings. Our flesh obviously is not, but our spirits are. And we go to one place or the other. There is no in between. We either go to eternally in heaven or eternally in hell. And contrary to what people want to believe, not everybody's going to heaven. I'm going to end with this. Remember what the Apostle Paul said. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Jesus is the reason for being. So my life personally, our life should be all about following Him. So take up your cross, be willing to lose everything for Him. And you will gain everything for eternity in heaven. Amen? I am going to close this in prayer, and then you will be dismissed. Usually Mark Guy closes us with a song, but it's hard for him to do that when he's not here. So, dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for your true word. We thank you for your grace, your love, your mercy. We pray for everybody here. We thank you in Christ's holy name we pray. Amen.